0: Greetings and salutations from Times Square, Crossroads of the World. This is the Muni Lowdown, produced by DebtWire Municipals, where we talk about this week's most interesting stories in the municipal bond market. And I am your host, Young Lim, desk editor at DebtWire Municipals. Good afternoon. Today is Thursday, June 10th, 2021. And welcome to our show, Head of Municipal Research, Greg Clark. And our senior reporter, now associate editor, Kalen David, from Chicago. So let's get into it. We're going to talk about two topics. Kalen will talk about a city uh, south of Chicago called Harvey, Illinois, which is, I'll, I'll just put two words. It's a hot mess. We'll let you get into it. <laughs> and Greg will talk about ERCOT, not Epcot <laughs> in Disney World, uh, which is the Electric Reliability Council of Texas. And Greg did a series of Analyst snapshots based on the winter storms uh, last February in Texas.
1: Can I talk about but, that car instead?
0: Yes, we can.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, maybe next time.
0: <laughs> well, as they, as they say in those commercials, I'll see you at Disney World. Was it Disneyland? Right, now I forgot now I've forgotten. Anyway, all right. So let's, uh, ladies, first. Let's talk about Harvey, Illinois, and Caitlin. Like I was mentioning, it's a hot mess, and you've got. I think it's a, there's two parts of it. Let's st- let's start with. Um, one story you wrote about where uh, a judge uh, denied bondholders because bondholders want to divert some of the city's water revenue. And qu- there are questions about a, how a general obligation GEO uh, bond pledge works. But why don't you go ahead and tell us about that.
2: Well, that was a hearing last week um, that the, the GEO bondholders have asked for a piece of the water revenues. This is litigation that goes all the way back to 2012. One of the things about Harvey, like you said, it's a hot mess. They have, they're have in court on several fronts and they have been for years with their creditors. It's really complicated. It's really long. It's really ongoing. And it sort of shows, you know, we've been writing about it for a long time. But it sort of shows how as a municipality or as a government starts to get really distressed its tax base is dwindling its residents are getting older uh, their property taxes are all the way up you know at the hilt and it's not enough to support them that you're starting to see creditors really go after each other so uh and the geo bondholders are one of those creditors but this is a case that goes all the way back to 2012 and it's with the city of chicago because uh harvey is a but the city of Chicago is a credit of Harvey. Harvey buys its water from Chicago and then it resells it then it uses it itself and then it resells it to some downstream um uh suburbs and businesses and residents so it owed Chicago a bunch of money and Chicago came after Harvey in court and um the water system, which is considered Harvey's most valuable asset um it went under receivership at some point since twenty twelve, I think in twenty anyway, and then it came out late last year. A judge brought it out of receivership, but as part of that, the bondholders have intervened a couple times because, first of all, part of that receivership was that the the um, the receiver wanted to get a piece of the general fund, and that was a conflict for bond bondholders who you know feel that they have you know the that that might interfere with their own money coming from the general fund, but more recently they intervene because they say that they and they're this this basically puts them in conflict with Chicago. They're saying that they deserve a piece of that water revenue that will go to Chicago under under the settlement because um, a certain chunk of the of their geo bonds went to finance water projects, and so. They had a hearing on it last week, and then as you say, the judge said she didn't quite understand. She denied it, but she said, I'm actually open to changing my mind. She said, I did hours of study on how geo bonds work. I've read, you know, court because they, they're also in court, the geo bond holders are also in court with, in a separate court with Harvey over default. Um, so she said, I've read that judge's orders. Um but I don't quite understand it. And so then I'm open to changing my mind, but for right now, I'm going to deny it. The geo bondholder attorney said, we're going to try to address this loophole. We know it's hard to get a handle on muni bonds and it's complicated. And so we're going to come back. So that, that chapter is not closed, but that's where it's at.
0: I see. So, so Greg, so tell us your thoughts. Um, We're, we're uh, you're the expert on, in terms of how things work, like, what are your thoughts on this whole, how a judge can't seem to understand a basic general
1: obligation pledge? I, I sympathize with her. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, my gut tells me that trying to attach the water revenues, really attaching the water revenues, uh, I've never heard of it. it doesn't mean that it's not a legitimate, uh, legitimate uh, case, but I've never heard of, of, of it in that used in, in this sense. Uh, having said that... Um, People in the, who haven't even been around long in the GD bond industry will have a sense that the GO pledge in any given state differs to some degree from the GO pledge in any other state. In other words, you've got 50 states, you've got 50 state constitutions, you've got 50 state um, laws regarding municipal finance and uh, that's part of what makes this sector interesting is that you do have this this diversity so what exactly the illinois constitution and uh, legislation will provide and how it can be interpreted is is something that I, i just don't know
2: and then to add to that um you know part of their argument is that they said that the 2007 bond ordinance authorizing the 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 geo issuance required the city to tap other revenue revenues if need be, um, if they didn't have enough. So that's part of their argument, and um, like I said, that'll that'll continue to play out. That's about um, that's a, I think there's about thirty two million of that outstanding. Those bonds were issued in two thousand seven. I'm sorry, I might have said two thousand eight earlier. That's a separate set of bonds that are hotel motel sales tax, but these are two thousand seven. GEO bonds that the, like I said, the city's also in court um, with them on a separate, with a separate settlement. And actually, just to note on that, they reached a deal with them, the geobond holders sued them in late 2018. They reached a deal with them in August, 2020, and that gives them two years to restructure. So Harvey's kind of getting close to restructure and their attorney's telling us they've hired an FA. They think that they're pretty close to announcing some sort of broker dealer. Um, it probably is going to be some type of exchange, maybe um, that'll you know push out maturities and lower debt service in the beginning to give Harvey some more space, and then the idea would be to give some you know inject some liquidity into those bonds, which are have you know which can't be traded right now. But that'll be sort of something that we're keeping our eye on. Hopefully, announced but coming with that soon.
1: Do we, do we happen to know who the F.A. is, Caitlin?
2: Okay, so the F.A. is Miristem, M-E-R-I-S-T-E-M, Advisors, LLC.
1: Thank you. So
0: I guess when it rains, it pours. I mean, that's that's just one part of Harvey's, <laughs> based upon what I read online. At the town was originally founded as a model for Christian values back in the 1800s. Huh.
2: That's interesting. Didn't know that. Yeah, it's – um. You know, it, it's one of the. It's south of Chicago. It's a southern suburb. It's it's really struggled. They've seen a lot of loss of jobs, a lot of loss of industry, and um, so and you really see that with a lot of those southern suburbs. So I would say it's 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 on the extreme edge, but it's not you know outside the pale of what the other places are facing. A lot of those suburbs are facing as well.
0: Now let's discuss, as you mentioned, this story. You're referring to another. I guess, what's the best word, like sort of on the side, you've got firefighters pension funds who are looking also to get money from Harvey, but not from the city itself, but from the federal government, the the ARPA funds. Why don't you talk about that?
2: So that's an interesting case where the pension funds, this, the public safety, fire and police in 2018 basically trigger, were the first ones in the whole state of Illinois to trigger this uh, so-called intercept law. That um, the state had recently passed that allows pension fund to intercept a piece of a government's um, state distributed revenue if the city or the government is behind on its pension payments. So Harvey, the cops, the police were the first to do it. The fire right close behind, and then the the bondholders got involved in that as well. That's the two thousand eight hotel motel sales tax bondholders. They got involved because they had a previous existing intercept. So then it was like. Who's intercept? You know, it's pensioners versus um, bondholders, which is the big debate. But anyway, um, so they settled on that, and under that intercept, the police gets twenty five percent, and the fire fund gets ten percent, and then the bondholders continue to get their thing. Now, the fire fund recently came back and said, "Now, now Harvey is is expect is um." getting this big chunk of federal stimulus funds under the American Rescue Plan Act. How much, they don't know. Illinois is still figuring that out um, because it's not a local government. It's called the non-entitled unit of government. And they're still figuring out that. But the fire fund says we deserve a piece of that because uh, that's a state distributed revenue fund and, and we should get 10% of it. The police have taken no position on it. They're kind of waiting to see and the bondholders have really taken no position on it either. There was a, a hearing on yesterday, oral arguments, and the judge is going to rule today or tomorrow. Um, but it's interesting because I'm sure a lot of people are watching it because they're saying probably like, well, if, they, if the judge allows this, then who's to say that you know other creditors of other districts aren't going to try to yeah open the floodgates? So it's going to be, really be a question and oral arguments that came up yesterday. Well, these are federal funds. These are not state um, A, these are federal funds. These are not state-directed funds, like, for example, the, the sales tax, the local sales tax, or the retail occupation tax, or personal property replacement tax. But also, um, so so they can't. So you're not allowed to touch those because they're federal. That's the that's the other side's you know first argument. But the other argument is um, that, and I'm sure we all recall this when Congress was debating the bill. One of the holdups was that it it shouldn't be able to go to pensions. You guys remember that? And they were saying, oh, the well-run red states don't want the, you know, big spending blue states to be able to use it. So that's another big argument. Well, it's not allowed. And in fact, states are restricted blatantly in the law from um, using it for pension, using any of those federal stimulus funds for pension payments. However, there's this little loophole that the fire fund has found where it's not explicitly said that the state. That's distributing the money to the non-entitlement unit of government cannot then use divert it for um, pension payment. So even though the state can't use it for its own pension payments, and even though a non-entitlement unit of government or a city or a county cannot use it for pension payments, there isn't there is this possible loophole where the state can intercept it and use it for pension payments possibly. So that anyway, that's the fire funds argument, and a ruling is expected soon.
0: Yeah, I've got two questions. Greg, you could, you could uh, chime in anytime you want to. But I think the first thing was, I think, like you said, they don't know how much they're getting. But at the same time, I think there's a timeline, like I think something about 30 days where you ha- it has to be distributed. And the non-entitlement is based, I think their loophole is saying, you know what, if it's under like 50,000 in terms of population, that's where they, they can, you know, sort of exploit that loophole.
1: Yeah, It's ahead. an interesting uh, uh run around if 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 this is if this is done uh to allow a locality to use money for pensions. Um uh, maybe somebody will litigate it. I, you know, who knows?
2: Yeah, I mean the judge seemed like yesterday just kind of from asking questions, just you know, I don't know, he he really didn't sort of give an indication of which way, but um he was definitely question. you know, he definitely brought that issue up of well there's this there was this clear you know political debate prohibiting it on pensions and it, and it's clear that that states and cities and counties and non- entitlement units are not allowed to use it for pensions so how is this and the fire fund was basically arguing you know you're you're required to that that language isn't there, then you're required to you know sort of interpret it or rule on it in in your way so um, it will be interesting to see.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, they might even need to get the federal government involved somehow as well.
2: They, yeah, they asked that too. Harvey uh, said, "Well, I think, you know, the government needs to be involved." And then yesterday, the judge asked about that, and and Harvey, the Harvey attorney, said they're waiting to see how um, how this goes, and then depending on probably what the judge does, they might get involved, and then. Yeah. To your earlier thing about the timing, I mean, yesterday they were saying the comptroller's office was there and they were saying that, and actually I was reading a little bit about California, put out some stuff on this because there's this whole process that local governments have to set up, um, have to set the state has to set up a portal and then the local governments have to send them their budgets because it's not allowed to be over a certain amount of the budget. So it's kind of all taking a while for this local money to start to flow. Um, you know, and I, I think they're a little bit behind. It's going to take everybody a little while to start to get it.
0: Okay, then thanks for your time, and we're going to move on over to Ed of Municipal Research. Great, how are you? Greg, how are you? All right. Uh, let me uh, mention to our audience that you did a series of analyst snapshots uh, again based upon the the winter storms that hit the state of Texas back in February, and you, you're going to talk about specifically. ERCOT, the Electric Reliability Council of Texas. So Greg, it's all yours.
1: All right. Uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott, a Republican, earlier this week signed legislation that will require electric utilities to weatherize their systems. And there's separate legislation that will also change oversight of the uh, Electric Reliability Council, known as ERCOT. And there's also a law recently passed by the Texas House that's intended to assist utilities with the higher power costs they incurred this past February. But it's not clear to me whether the state Senate has approved the legislation. But in any event, the governor has not signed it. Uh, Caitlin, I think you had some additional information on this.
2: Well, I think that, and and I you know, don't know 100% on this, but I'm pretty sure that they passed legislation that allows securitization um, of bonds so that that would kind of, I think they had a certain amount of, they were, investor-owned utilities were allowed to issue securitized bonds previously. I think this legislation broadens it so that a lot more of the utilities could issue securitized bonds. And um, I think it might be up to $7 billion. I don't know if this... As you were saying, I don't know if the governor signed it. I don't know where it is. I think it's been passed by both chambers, but I could be wrong. And Maybe the governor signed it. I don't know. But that's what, and we'd written a little bit about it before, about what that, you know, how that would look, the security. Sounds a little
1: bit like what happened in California after the Gray Davis era of uh, problems, which uh, this is going back always, resulted in Arnold Schwarzenegger being elected after Gray Davis was recalled. Uh, but the power grid out there um, wasn't necessarily a failure of the grid, but it was a failure in, in delivery. And I, I guess you could call it one and the same. But anyway, the, the utilities out there—the three big ones, the three big investor-owned utilities—issued securitized nice bonds. Uh, so there is some kind of some precedence for this kind of thing, uh, assuming my analogy is right. So. In any event, um, getting back to ERCOT, back in February, uh, severe winter weather in Texas caused a widespread loss of service. And although some differences of opinion remain about certain aspects of the crisis, for instance, whether the failure of wind generation was a central or contributing factor to the problem, there are some other facts that are indisputable. Demand for electricity in Texas surged for four days in February due to frigid temperatures and one cause of the higher demand was that about 60 percent of texans use electricity to heat their homes many of which are poorly insulated of course because they tend not to have cold weather of of this severity and duration Uh, so not only was the higher demand not met by increased generation but a number of generating sources were not fully available because of the weather Windmills froze and uh, inadequate winterization of natural gas wells and pipelines uh, caused some of those facilities to freeze in, in or or in part. Other generation types like coal, hydro, and nuclear also underperformed during the crisis. So in response to all this, ERCOT began rolling outages, quote unquote, which are normally intended to last for 45 to 60 minutes. Uh, but instead, some customers lost power for days, resulting in death and property damage and other economic losses. And the supply and demand imbalance also caused ERCAT to charge its member utilities disorbitant prices for power during this period. And that's where I think this is the idea of the securitized bonds comes in that we just discussed.
0: Right. That was yeah. That was a cr- uh, very uh, devastating time back then. So, Greg, give us more details about ERCAT itself. I think it's, a, it's sort of a unique... What did the entity on it onto
1: itself? Yeah, I I think that's a fair statement. Um, ERCOT in general manages the electric grid that provides power to most of the state. There are eight such entities that serve this purpose in the continental US, but ERCOT's unusual in that it's largely disconnected from the other grids. Or to put it another way, ERCOT has limited connections to other grids and thus depends primarily on generation within its boundaries which is most of Texas, but not all, in order to meet its uh, generating needs. Areas such as the Texas Panhandle, which lie outside ERCOT boundaries, had much better outcomes during the February storm because they had access to an integrated transmission system. Whether the state grid can be integrated, however, uh, I'm not not aware of any efforts by the state to to do that, to implement that kind of thing. It's an open question. Previous events in maintaining independence of the grid, such as which included Urquhart's creation, have been called the second battle of the Alamo. <laughs> oh my God! Are you talking about Davy Crockett? This is
0: who can we mention as Davy Crockett or James Bowie?
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know who would play Davy in the scenario, or uh, or Travis, or. Uh, uh, I don't want to mention any other names because I might get them wrong. I don't want to face the wrath of any Texans who are listening. Um, so, so the the second battle of the Alamo is also the, the, word, the reason I mention that is it's the title of a 1995 article in the Journal of the American Bar Association. The, this was the best source I found on on the whole ERCOT the creation of ERCOT. It's, it's, it was it was very difficult to find information on this. But anyway, the article makes it clear that the desire for an intrastate intrastate grid goes back at least to the 30s. The big utilities in Texas at the time elected to isolate their properties from interstate commerce and federal regulation by engaging only in intrastate commerce, which the federal government had no authority over. And then in 1970, utilities operating exclusively within Texas set up an in- intrastate power pool, ERCOT. And ERCOT's members included not only investor-owned utilities, but names familiar to the community market, such as Brazos Electric Co-op, Texas Municipal Power Agency, the San Antonio and Austin Electric Systems, and the Lower Colorado River Authority. So in general, there's some progress being made Uh, in Texas in terms of dealing with the problems that occurred this past February. uh, I'm guessing that this story is far from over. There will be the legislation or excuse me, the legislative session is over. Um, But I think that there will be a lot more uh, activity regarding uh, the electric uh, system in Texas, the electric grid in Texas, before we have the final story on this.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting how The federal government has no control over this, I guess an island to itself, I guess is another way to put it, how Texas uh, runs their electricity.
1: Yeah. If if you look at a map of uh, the national power grids, Florida is in a somewhat similar situation because, but they're a peninsula. Um, so in a way they have to be, but I, I, I'm not aware of, of their, uh, of their having, uh, trying to control. Uh, the market in, 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 in an interstate way. Of, my guess is that they're connected to uh, the states to the north in and, and the way that other states are connected.
0: All right. Many thanks to uh, Caitlin Devitt and Greg Clark today. And thanks to your listeners out there who tune in week after week, the latest on Deces Mini Debt on The Mean Lowdown. Thanks for listening to The Mean Lowdown with me, your host, Young Lim. If you want to know more, subscribe to DebtWire.com and follow us on social media. Please leave comments, rate, like, and share. Join us next week when we talk about the latest in the municipal bond market.